welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we are going to answer the question, is your view of outcomes-based service limiting your success? We talk a lot about outcomes-based service and delivering greater experiences and guaranteed results to our customers, but today we're going to dive in a little bit more to what that really means and how you may be um, keeping your view too small of the opportunities for you with your customer base. I am excited to welcome to the podcast today, Chris LaFrada, Vice President and Head of Professional Services and Solutions Delivery at Philips. Chris, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to virtually be with you here today. It's yes. like everybody's reality all day, every day. I wish we were doing these on site in a studio. Maybe we'll get there someday, but for now, virtual, yes, and happy to have you. Um, so, Chris, before we dig into the topic at hand, um, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your background, and your role at Philips. Thanks, Sarah. First, you know, let me tell you a little bit about Philips, and I'll dive into my role. Um, you know, Philips has been has been around for about 130 years. We're 80,000 employees worldwide, uh, and our purpose is to improve the lives and well-being of people through through innovation and technology. We're very specifically focused on healthcare. And that's actually been a transformation from Philips. We've people who are familiar with the brand would know we've sold consumer electronics like flat TVs and lighting and things like that. But we've divested the portfolio and we're 100% focused on healthcare. So it's been a big shift for Philips. And also part of our strategy and another big shift and what I want to talk to you about today is that we're shifting from a company that primarily sold products to a company that sells solutions. And just to use a simple definition of a solution, for me, that means hardware, software, services kind of bundled together, both Philips developed content as well as third parties. And that together, these things solve a customer's problem and deliver an outcome better than a product would on a standalone basis. So that's kind of in a, in a nutshell who Philips is. Um, I've had a long career in healthcare. I've worked at HP Hewlett Packard back when they had a medical device product group. Uh, I've worked at a company called Electa, which is an oncology focused medical uh, technology company. But I've spent most of my career at Philips and most of my career in services. I've run uh, call centers and technical support groups. I've run field service teams, um, both on the software and IT side as well as well as on the capital equipment side. Uh, and these days, my job is really, uh, as you said in the title, it's around solutions delivery. So as we make the shift into solutions, how do I sort of repurpose an organization that was designed to deliver break fix into a solution that uh, into into a, uh, an organization that sort of consults up front with our customers around how to design a solution and takes them through an implementation. Um, and then, you know, at the end, it's really all about helping customers adopt the technology so they can achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. So a lot, a lot of words there, but um, that's sort of what my job is, is it's to run these teams. I have uh, team members who are solution architects. I have team members that are project and program managers, technical consultants, which I've converted. And maybe we can talk about this. I've converted a lot of field service engineers or technicians into a role called technical consultant. Mm -hmm. uh, and for us, because we're in healthcare clinical application specialists who do training uh, and co consultation on the products and solutions. Okay. Excellent. So there's a lot we're going to dive into um, and I'm, I'm very excited to do so. You know, I said in the intro and, and you kind of um, mentioned in, in your introduction of yourself, you know, the, the conversations I have with people across a variety of industries these days are in some way all tied back to this concept of solving customer problems instead of delivering a product, a service, right? So this idea of however you want to say it for a product organization, moving this way, often servitization, um, delivering more outcomes, that sort of thing, you know, so you already defined that for us, and, and I think it was a very uh, simple but very good definition, which is um, putting together solutions that solve customer problems, right? So that makes perfect sense. Let me ask you, why do you feel this is, is the path every company in some form or, or another is on right now? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think, I think about it... Um maybe what's going on in the IT space where everything is as a service today, or maybe, you know, companies like Uber, you know, they've, they've kind of set the world on fire with their business model. So if you think about Uber, you know, the car company's model was to build and sell you a car and they make all their money in, 
then they service it after and keep it running. But you as a consumer, do you really want a car? Do you just want to get from A to B? Mm -hmm. And I I think that's kind of what it's all about. So um, I I think that, you know, we have a demographic shift going on in society where people are growing up kind of around these business models. But I also, you know, if I think about my uh, business space in healthcare specifically, like hospitals are stretched. They don't have the capital they used to have. Uh, A lot of them don't make a huge operating margin. So these innovative business models where you're sort of tied in as a supplier to the customer's outcome and success. I mean, that just it just works well because of the economic model they're in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think we've seen it happen in other industries. Like I think IT was the first place it really happened. I think IBM started this revolution, whether they wanted to or meant to Mm -hmm. or not, when they kind of got out of the mainframe business and got into like web services. Yeah, that makes sense. So in the headline, um, you know, we we said, are you limiting your view? Okay, so as an organization, whatever industry you're in, if you're thinking about how do we act more as a trusted advisor, how do we sell solutions instead of products? Um, Oftentimes, the first thing people think of is, well, we need to guarantee uptime. That must be the answer, uptime, right? Um, and, and our argument today is that there's nothing wrong with guaranteeing uptime. Um, but if that is where you sort of stop, right. And well, in your thought process or in action, you achieve this and then you, you just, uh, end there, you could really be limiting your potential to expand your service revenue, because if you can step outside of maybe your, um, historical role in your customer's landscape and think more about how you could potentially solve some of the problems they have, you may find um, different opportunities to contribute to the outcomes that they need to drive. So tell us a little bit about some of the different ways that Philips has um, expanded its portfolio to deliver more customer outcomes. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's funny you start off with the uptime comment, because as I told you, I've had a long career in service. And I think that traditionally it was about keep my system up. And so it was about making it available. And I think over the past 10 years, at least in in healthcare technology, it kind of shifted from, you know, I want it to be available, but I also want it to integrate with the rest of everything else that's going on. So in healthcare, it meant sending data from devices to an EMR. Uh, So it's about integration. But now I think it's, it's really about help me adopt it so that I can be successful. So in healthcare, uh, hospitals talk about uh, a quadruple aim their targets as healthcare providers is to achieve this quadruple aim and it's financial outcomes, clinical outcomes, patient satisfaction, and staff satisfaction. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of where Philips plays in this space and where we've been successful. So in an intensive care unit, you have a system of patient monitors uh, and they connect to a network and you know nurses are able to centralize, centrally monitor like the vital signs of a patient and they respond when their alarm goes off. So we've always sold that as a capital uh, capital equipment with some services mm-hmm. built it in. Um, and you know there's off time and you know bench repair and all these things that go on to make the monitors available. So that that's the way we've always done it. Um, last year, uh, or actually a couple of years ago now, we had a first of kind implementation in a big hospital in Florida. We were actually offered this as a service. So instead of getting paid uh, for the monitors after we've implemented them and sold them and then going on a service contract, we actually get paid per patient day. Um, and so, you know, that faci- so what is the customer trying to do there? And, you know, let me let me talk about the outcomes that we're looking for. We're trying to make sure that they're efficient. We don't want we don't want patients to stay in an ICU any longer than they need to stay in an ICU. Um, we're trying to make sure that as they move around the hospital. Um, from the OR back into a post-op recovery area and what have you, that we don't lose any data. It's really important that the data gets captured through the whole journey. And of course, we don't want them to be readmitted and things like that. Uh, and so through through this offer, we're able to completely upgrade a hospital where they wouldn't normally have the capital to do it all. Um, every unit of the hospital is using the same technology. So a nurse can move from one place to another. Um, they get software upgrades through the life cycle of these things because they're Philips's assets at the end, not the customers mm-hmm. who are them up to the latest and greatest revs and things like that. And, and what we're seeing, and last year was a great example uh, because COVID happened. And when COVID happened, all of a sudden there were a different, there was a different subset of patients uh, that needed really specific care. 
So we're able to adapt and get monitors where they need to go in the hospital without the customer spending an extra penny, right? Um, so, you know, that, that's one example of where we've done it. We've done some great studies uh, uh, at this customer whereby um, we asked the staff, hey, how do you like the new technology? And I mean, it was just off the charts positive. They were, this hospital was literally at a, at a place where they'd have to, new patient would get admitted and they have to check to see if they could find a monitor that worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was from, from brand X or brand Y, they wouldn't necessarily know how to interact with that monitor. So the patient uh, or the staff satisfaction went up really high. Mm-hmm. Obviously the financial outcome was a big improvement for them. Instead of spending this huge amount of capital up front. They uh, moved their spend from CapEx to OpEx. Mm-hmm. So if they have a lot of customers, you know, their bill goes up for the month, um, sort of like our gas or our, our electric bill, right? Mm-hmm. But if they don't have a lot of customers, when they have a down month, you know, uh, their fees go down accordingly. Mm-hmm. And, and then we saw some clinical outcomes too. Um, so it's specifically, you know, because they had this hodgepodge of technology, it took a long time for them to transfer a patient from one unit to the other, which meant patients sitting around kind of in limbo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now that we have all the Philips uh, equipment in-house, they're able to transport patients quicker. The nurses are happy with that, and the patients spend less time, uh, you know, kind of just waiting for something to happen. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one example. Uh, another, another example that I would cite is that we have something called uh, Managed Technology Services. It's an offer mm-hmm. that Philips has. where We actually would go in uh, with the hospital staff, assess their install base of technology, and help them make a 10-year plan for replacement. So Philips will finance that equipment. Um, we will service it for them, regardless if it's ours or a third party. But the key is that we really help them to adopt and utilize the equipment well. Uh, so we have like counters on all of our equipment. We can zoom in and see if an MRI is being 65% utilized uh, in one unit and you have another unit that might be 120% utilized, maybe they run on a second or a third shift or what have, have you. We can take that information back to the customer and say, hey, look, you, you could utilize this one asset better. Or maybe it's time to retire it because the service costs are too high. So really partnering with, the, with their capital asset planning, because let's face it, what our customers, and in my case, what healthcare customers are really good at is providing care to a patient, not mm-hmm. capital planning for medical equipment. But at Philips, that's what we do all day long. And so we're able to uh, kind of help and assist. And, that, and that's a, an example of helping a customer you know, drive a financial outcome. Um, and, and, and we've had some really good success stories with that. It's not an easy model to shift into. And, you know, it takes a little bit of courage and it's kind of risky because mm-hmm. a couple of times that you move in, you, you know, you, the model's not always perfect, but uh, you go out and you get your feet wet and you start to learn from it. And then you, then you hone the model. So I think, I think the real key, though, Sarah, is, you know, if you have shared goals with your customer, now they're partners and not customers. And right. you win, they win, and vice versa. So, you know, in the first example I gave, you know, if, if we could increase the number of patient days that, uh, that the customer is being monitored, because we're consulting with the customer and helping them put, put these devices in the right places, then I get a higher patient per day price, but they also get better utilization of the asset. Right. So uptime is like keeping the thing available. But we're, we're talking about is making sure it's used and used well and used to deliver these quadruple aim outcomes. And that, that's probably a good way to state it and kind of summarize the point. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think, um, you know, it is interesting. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before, Chris, the the there is a great overlap there for companies that are willing to find it of needs customers have real needs real value opportunities, not forced, not, hey, we need to increase our our service revenue. So what can we try and sell them? But real opportunities to help that can help your business build revenue. I mean, it really can be a mutually beneficial um, place that you can get to. And this is a good example of that. Before we talk about um, some of the complexities, I did want to just go back to the the examples you shared. So obviously there is a real thing of, for a lot of these hospitals and health systems, you know, modernizing the equipment they have and the lift that can bring in patient care itself, right? But to your point, there's a lot of planning that goes into that. There's a lot of... um, you know, knowledge about what's needed and where it's needed and what the right patient flow is and things like that, on top of this change in model that we're going to talk a little bit more about to being OPEX versus CAPEX. 
But the other thing, and, and we're also going to talk more about this, but I want to clarify it before we, we dive in, is you know, some of the opportunity from a services perspective to kind of expand the skills um, that, that you're leveraging to bring value to your customers. And I know from, from one of our earlier conversations, there's a couple we talked about that I'm hoping you can touch on. One is you know, knowing that this equipment is part of a, a, a hospital's bigger IT infrastructure, you know, there's some opportunity there. And then um, I think a really big one, because I, I, I think it, you know, covers a lot of different industries and, and a lot of needs people's customers have is this idea of, hey, we see you're only using your MRI machine at 65% capacity. You know, to your point, maybe they have an extra one they don't need or something like that, but it could be you know, maybe their staff is struggling because they're they're not good at using it or, or they need some extra training. And so I believe you've also kind of expanded into some more services there to help assist your customers in making sure that their staff is effective as well. So can you speak to, yeah. to those two aspects? Well, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take the first piece about how, it, you know, things have really shifted. Um, when I first started my career, when we hired a field service engineer, we were looking for somebody who had a mechanical engineering or electric engineering background. Uh, and then we taught them customer skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back then, most devices were standalone. They didn't talk to th- themselves or each other. They didn't connect to the hospital's network and things like that. Um, and if they ran software, you know, it was proprietary for the most part. Now, you know, everything is on um, common platforms, Microsoft and things like that. Everything is highly integrated and in talking to each other. Um, so about five or six years ago, uh, I was really involved in sort of our patient monitoring solutions, and they're really highly networked. Uh, so we start to realize that we need to get network network experts on the team. And so we kind of went down this path of, you know, we think our guys are really smart, our guys and girls, and they can get Cisco trained and certified. Um, so we, we provided them that opportunity uh, to make the shift. At the same time, we were growing so as we were hiring new people, we brought in Cisco uh, trained and certified people that were really good with networks. Um, and then there were people who, who were in the ranks that realized, you know, the way things are going, maybe this isn't the job for me anymore. So we kind of went through a five-year journey where some of our internal folks um, stepped up and learned the skills as we were hiring. We hired people with those skills. We hired a lot of people actually from the military uh, who have been network trained, but also people from data centers and banks and things like that. We had to teach them what healthcare was. Uh, and then we had some turnover, this kind of a demographic thing going on, um, you know, in terms of baby boomers retiring. Mm-hmm. And things like that. Uh, so about a thir- it was about a third, a third, a third, if, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Uh, so that was, that was a big shift we had to make. And now we're seeing it again where networking is kind of not enough. We're seeing a little, uh, few specialties that we have to get really good at. So cybersecurity is, is mm-hmm. one. We're starting to hire in uh, staff that has some experience and background around cybersecurity. Um, Microsoft um, OSs, you know, Microsoft Server and things like that. Virtualization is really a big thing, mm-hmm. so VMware. Uh, so all of those skills um, have been important for us to realize we needed them and then either acquire them or train people to get them. So that, that's kind of a little bit about the first question. I think I think the second question, you know, I'll, I'll give you a really good example of sort of the Philips as trusted advisor and, and consultative, consultative partners. If you're in an ICU, um, there's all these alarms going off all the time. It's mm-hmm. really, really a stressful place to be. If you're visiting a loved one, it's stressful. If you're sick in the hospital, it's really stressful too. It's particularly stressful for nurses. You know, they're hearing these beeps and you know, the beep turns into a page on their phone. Um, there's a central monitor. There's things going on all the time. And it turns out that like a lot of them are false positives or alarms that don't need to be responded to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we what we are able to do is to go in and consult with the nursing staff, make decisions around their alarm policies. They can lower thresholds. They can silence certain alarms and things like that. It's a really collaborative process. I mean, as Phillips, we can't go in and tell them what their alarm policy sure. should be. They need to make those decisions on their own with information from us. So we can say, for example, at hospital you know, X, we see a best practice whereby they set this alarm here. Uh, and then they make those decisions and we can implement them on the monitors. And so, you know, we've had to take our clinical educators who were nurses for the most part, almost every clinical educator in Phillips has credibility and background as a nurse, but we had to teach them how to facilitate that discussion. Mm-hmm. So they went away and learned how to run a Kaizen 
um, so that I can get a, a group of nurses from the hospital site to get in and be open and have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And we just have great results from that as an offer. And it's great because it's it's done in conjunction. And you see um, the hospital nurses, sometimes they start the conversation like this and they just don't want to hear it or know it. And it's like something outside of their day-to-day job that they don't have time for. Mm-hmm. And six weeks later, they talk about it being like a life-changing experience, having participated in something like that. And now there are fewer um, inoperable or, uh, you know, false alarms, you know, there's just few, yeah. there's noise and they can focus on what's really important. Uh, so, so that's a, that's a, a good example. It, it took time, um, you know, to build that skill on the team. Uh, mm-hmm. Nurses tend to be really good at it for whatever reason. I think they have mm-hmm. the levels of empathy, uh, but it's a good example of where we do that. We do some cybersecurity consulting, helping hospital CIOs um, pre- prepare a plan and a strategy for things that live outside the data center. So mm-hmm. we're in a world where everything is a connected device. And IT people tend to be really good at connected devices that are computers. But when it's an MRI machine or a patient monitor uh, or an ultrasound, they don't typically know how to apply an OS patch to a device mm-hmm. like that. You can't just say, hey, there's going to be a maintenance window in the ICU at 3 o'clock right. on Sunday. It doesn't work like that. So it's a, it's a different uh, problem set. So we, we advise and we help with things like that, uh, mentioned some of the capital planning and of mm-hmm. course utilization of the devices. So, so yeah, it, it, it's a, a special skill set. Um, we've taught some of the staff how to do it, um, like the clinical educators and other areas. We've brought in consultants that, uh, mm-hmm. that work. Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to touch on based on what you just said. The first is, you know, going back to the title of of our podcast and not limiting your view of outcomes, right? So What you just described to me is a perfect example of you start with your core competency and maybe you even servitize that well, right? So instead of just offering products, now you've bundled that with services. So you are Philips and you offer X equipment and you can service it supremely, right? But now you start looking at what is your customer journey, right? So how much pain would it cause your customer if you show up and say, hey, great, I have this, you know, industry leading piece of equipment. I can I can sell it to you. You know, we'll take great care of it. We'll make sure it has uptime. But this network stuff, good luck. You know, so see it. See, you know, see you next right. time we talk. Right? right. And then they're sitting there like, OK, you know, now we have to interface with another person and bring them in and do those people know the Philips equipment, et cetera, right? It's so the worst experience for a customer, right? When they say, hey, Philips, your system is slow. We say, no, our system is working fine. It's a problem on your network. And they right. call Cisco or they call their internal and everybody's pointing at each other. Exactly. Curious, right? And so we decided, you know what? We're going to just help them solve the whole problem end to end. And if, if we have to be the middle person and work with uh, Cisco or whoever it is, you know, we'll take that role and do it. Because, because to your point, they can't get what they want unless that problem is fixed. And for us, in this example, the network infrastructure is such an important component of it all. Uh, right. That's just absolutely fundamental to what we're doing there. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. So by by eliminating that friction for your customers and improving their experience, you're expanding your own value proposition and your revenue potential, right? Yeah. So it's just a really good example of looking. You know, I think sometimes companies get you know, really, they're kind of stuck in in their history, right? And so when they start thinking about innovating or servitizing or, or delivering outcomes, they have really good intentions of innovating, but they still kind of are on this lane, mm. right? And so just being able to kind of expand the view a bit and just think about, okay, what are these friction points? What do we hear what do we see? You know, where do we know our products connect with other systems in our customers' infrastructure, et cetera? Um, because sometimes it's a situation of not communicating enough with your customers to the point where you're not asking the right questions for them to share their pain points. But sometimes they might not know to ask you, right? So sometimes it's observing instead and going to them with suggestions, right? So that was just one thing that that I thought was um, important to to mention, and there was another one, but I forgot it now. <laughs> so hopefully it'll come back to me. Um, but but I think that that's just 
those are fantastic examples of, you know, really being able to look at your customers' journeys and look for those opportunities to really help them and in turn, you know, help yourself by, by creating more potential. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've got a a mentor of mine who always says, Chris, we have two ears and one mouth, right? And you got to use them in those proportions. So you said it a few times, but it is really listening. And I think sometimes it's also, um, you know, when you talk about that trusted advisor comment, sometimes it's, it's about being brave enough to tell a customer, Hey, I know you want to do that. That's not the best practice. You know, um, you know, we had a customer who wanted to use Active Directory in a certain way. No other Philips customer uh, does what they do. And, we, you know, we should have said to them, look, you're taking a risk doing that. And we're not sure we can support that. But, you know, I think a lot of times our tendency is we want to close this deal. So let's just mm-hmm. do what the customer wants. But I think one of the reasons why customers want to work with an industry leader is because of the experience you have as an industry leader, especially Absolutely. when implementing very complex things like this. They want to know what, what the best, uh, most successful customers have done and how they've done it. So, you know, yeah. I, I think you got to kind of own that and bring it bring it to the forefront. And you just reminded me of my other point. So thank you. But uh, it was exactly that, which is when you have, you know, a, a wealth of assets that are connected assets across a variety of, of customers um, and you can look for those insights that that your customer base is going to find value. And that in and of itself is another opportunity for, you know, that revenue um, diversification and, and to differentiate yourself, to build that relationship, right. To stop, you know, looking at it as a transactional product sale, break, fix service to that partnership, because there's so much value, you know, in your case to the hospitals of, of you knowing based on fact, based on data, hey, actually the best practice other hospitals do is this. You know, let me show you a couple examples. A customer we have in this state does this, this state does this, you know. Um, they don't have that information. So that information, that data is power you have that you can use to educate your customer base that no one else has, right? So a lot of times that data in and of itself is an untapped opportunity to expand these relationships and, and you know, diversify revenue because companies might use it operationally, internally, but they're not looking at it from that perspective of what's this telling us that is, is insights, best practices, information that our customers would you know, potentially pay to know, or that we can bundle into this this overall thing. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's it's fascinating. You know, you know, again, one of the customers that um, have bought into this as a service model with us around our patient monitoring. I was at a quarterly review with them not long ago, and we were reviewing their statistics. And so the monitoring gets broken into three uh, segments: this high acuity, mid acuity, and low. So the most sick patients are in high acuity. You know, you sort of middle uh, patients are in the mid. And then when you get like checked into the ER or the general ward, they put you on these low acuity monitors. And so by looking at their statistics over the last quarter, and we're reviewing this from a billing point of view, like, hey, here's mm-hmm. your usage. This is what your, your quarterly invoice is going to be. But they saw this huge spike in mid acuity. And they start to ask operational questions about why. Why did it go up so much? I don't understand. Well, it was driven by COVID volume. Um, but it's, it's to your point that if you have this huge install base of information, not only can you help one uh, hospital compare itself to the other and, and get to best practice, of course, the information is completely anonymized and you know, de-identified and things like that. Mm-hmm. But also, even within the hospital, you know, they're not always seeing operationally what's going on. Right. Uh, everything from how the equipment is being used, and I gave some of those examples earlier, to where is the equipment? I mean, we have a patient-worn device uh, that allows you know people to walk around the hospital when they're recovering while still being mm-hmm. Well, things get lost all the time. And I can tell the last time it made a network connection where in the hospital it was. And so it, it even as simple as, you know, I lost my keys, help me find them sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, so it's for all, sure. It's all about data. And I know, you know, there's a question that we'll talk about maybe at the end about my vision of what's next. And it's all about how do we better use all this data that's being generated whether it's mm-hmm. to deliver um, an economic or a patient outcome, I think there are clinical outcomes that could uh, potentially be um, um, better achieved if we could somehow, and I, you know, Google, Apple, GE, Siemens, Philips, we're all trying to uh, get there, but nobody's really cracked the code yet. 
Mm-hmm. But if you think about all the sick patients that go to a hospital, so much information about them and their symptoms and their treatments have been mm-hmm. that. That's a place where we've got to start applying AI and machine learning and things like that so that we can get to better treatment plans, yeah. diagnosis and things like that. That's sort of a vision of the future that I have. Okay, we're going to get there. All right. All right. So so everything we've talked about is is really exciting. You know, you guys are, are doing an amazing job of um, becoming that that partner to your customers instead of a vendor or supplier um, and and really looking at modernizing the relationships you have with with them. Um, but, you know, this process and that shift is it's a fundamental change in, in how you're doing business. Right. And that is in no way um, do I want to to touch on the good points and have people think like, oh, yeah. you know, Phillips is doing it. It must be easy because it isn't. It's really, really hard. And I think that, um, you know, the deeper and richer the history in uh, developing, manufacturing, selling, servicing products, the harder this transformation can be and, and this shift can be. Um, so, so you're obviously doing an excellent job at it, but I want to talk about, um, a couple of the major points, uh, and you can maybe share a little bit, the challenges and, and how you're, you've either overcome them or are working to overcome them. And the first thing I want to talk about is just, you know, this idea of transitioning to the, as a service model, right? So for, for Phillips, you know, I understand the value to the customers loud and clear, but to you guys, you know, you're moving from these large influxes of, um, of revenue to, you know, more of, of a recurring model and then your risk sharing. So, you know, to your point, if, you know, the hospital doesn't use as much one month as another month, you know, that dips. So explain how you kind of get on the same page about why and how that's worth the risk and, and what that takes to migrate to. Well, there's a there's a lot in that question, so let mm-hmm. me try let me try to touch on some of the uh, topics there. It, you know, the the first thing I would say is is as you start um, to make a transformation like this, think about Philips. As I said, it was a 130 year old company when I uh, introduced myself, and for 125 of those years or so, we sold a thing, we manufactured a thing, sold it, and then did some service on it, right? So all of our processes, all of our backend systems are designed to do that thing. And so, you know, a few years ago, we decided to get into this solution space and all of a sudden SAP doesn't want to allow us to transact business that way or salesforce.com. Salesforce is not, you know, a little bit more flexible, but, you know, ServiceMax, for example, is really good at break, fix service and dispatching engineers and doing things like that, but not so good with other things. So there's a lot about kind of tuning up your back office system to allow these business models to work and things like that. Uh, then you start having, you know, discussions with your CFOs and, and folks because they used to get in this sort of, you know, episodic revenue is what I would call it. Mm-hmm. It's all a huge capital deal. Um, and there's a little bit of services that go along with that. Um, but, you know, that's how we forecast revenue. But we're basically getting all the revenue up front. So let's just say, you know, we're going to do a million dollar deal. We get a million dollars up front. We get a $75,000 a year service contract. And that's kind of your model. Now we've gone towards that million dollars gets spread over five years. And oh, by the way, there's some risk in it because if the customer doesn't achieve their outcomes, um, you, you know, you, you're going to make less money in that month. And we actually saw that, you know, a lot of our solutions, we have a pay-per-use solution for our picture archiving services. So when you get an image done on an MRI or a CT or whatever, it goes, it gets stored digitally and, um, you know, clinicians retrieve that and they work the images and they read them and all that stuff. While during COVID, a lot of elective procedures were postponed. So for the whole year last year, you know, people getting MRI scans are going in, uh, in some cases for things as seriously as serious as like uh, bypass surgery. A lot of that was postponed for a long time. So the usage of those images went down and our revenue went down and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a big hit. So wh- why, why would you still do it? Um, I think why you would still do it first and foremost is, this is the direction that industry is going in. So if you don't make the shift, you're just going to become irrelevant in a few years. That, that, that's one reason. But I think the second more compelling reason is it deepens the partnership uh, with your customer and it makes what you do really, really sticky. So these customers that have been using your service um, as a service, it's not easy to switch. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's really, really difficult to, to migrate that data that might be in our systems, the competitor systems or, or what have you, once you kind of make that shift. But but I think you become sort of indispensable as a partner, so the, the long term is worth it. The other thing I'd say is if you go from, you know, that episodic revenue and ever, all of my peers who are listening to this podcast will tell you, you've got these huge fourth quarter hockey sticks. You've got to make that Q4 number. Everything's being discounted. There's so much pressure to make that revenue number. That means somebody has to sell it. Supply chain has to deliver. I have to go out and install it and all that stuff needs to happen. But if it's recurring revenue, that recurring revenue just builds on itself and builds on itself and builds on itself and builds on itself. Um, you know, you still have to renew it and hopefully mm-hmm. over the life cycle, you're expanding it. Um, but it's a lot more predictable and it just, I mean, you know, it just makes running your quarterly business that much more uh, sustainable. And, and it's a little bit easier to be honest. Yeah. It's just that initial transition, you know, it's, it's this big hurdle and then, you know, you can start to see how it, it can be an improvement. I yeah. think I'm jealous. So jealous of the companies who started this way, like salesforce.com because they didn't have to make the shift. And then there are companies like IBM who like said, we're not going to be in mainframes anymore. We're going to shift totally to services. And they kind of like made a bold decision. At Philips, we still do both. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's sometimes hard, um, you know, to kind of run both. Straddle, models. yeah. Uh, but, but you know, there's good reason to do it. And I'll tell you, the number one reason to do it is not every customer is ready to, to consume this way either. There are so, still quite a few big customers that just aren't interested, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to buy capital and depreciate over, over 10 years because that suits their operating model uh, better. So, you know, for us, you know, it works being in both worlds at the same time. Sometimes I wish it wasn't the case because I think we could move faster, uh, but we're balancing it as, as well as we can. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big one. Um, the other one I'm wondering if we can just touch on quickly before we get to the other big one. Um, and, and I say quickly because I know that that service is your world, not necessarily um, sales overall, but yeah. obviously this is a complete shift for, for sales too, right? I mean, it's a, it's a different value proposition. Um, you know, it, it's expanding really the, the stakeholders within uh, a customer organization that you need to be selling to, you know, when you get into these, you know, adjacent services and all of that. So, what have you seen in relation to, you know, what it takes to transition to selling, mm-hmm. you know, the as a service model? Yeah, a few a few things there, I think. First of all, it's not a department level uh, sale anymore. You can't go mm-hmm. to the head of biomed or, or, or the chief nurse of a unit or the chief radiologist. It's a C-suite sell. So, you know, that means the salespeople have to really up their game and learn how to talk to and sell to the C-suite because these tend to be longer term and they tend to be enterprise wide. They're big bets on both sides of the equation. Um, Second of all, you know, the incentive schemes have to be taken into account. So we have a really good uh, sales executive within Philips who came over from Microsoft and at Microsoft, remember you used to buy windows and office and, you know, pay $300 for it and you got the CDs and you loaded them Mm -hmm. up. Microsoft shifted from that model towards, um, you know, 360, which everything is online and downloadable. That had changed the comp plans for their people because of that. Mm-hmm. They weren't getting the one-time episodic uh, hit anymore. And so, you, you know, now you need to uh, comp on like total contract value over time and things like that. Uh, and that's very different. And I think the last piece is, and I, and I alluded to this a little bit in my last answer, but the renewal becomes a really important conversation and expansion becomes a really important conversation. So out in industry, you'll hear people talk about success managers, customer success managers, mm-hmm. which are still figuring out what that means for us in Philips. But part of it is um, making sure that when the renewal conversation comes up, that customer is so happy with the value that, that you've added that it's not even a conversation. Um, but it's also things like, hey, you're doing really well in these units of your hospital with the solution. Why don't we go to the West building now? Why don't we go to your children's clinic or whatever it is? And so, you know, it should provide you for the base um, to do that stuff. So it's it, if you're doing it well, you're not hunting business as much. Right. It's harvesting business, but it's it's a different art form or different science or, you know, however my sales colleagues would describe it. It's, it's just sure. a methodology. Uh, so those are some of the thoughts around sales. I can't emphasize that first point enough. Uh, up in your game to be able to talk to the C-suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Phillips, we've sort of developed uh, playbooks around how to do that. We have account executives who are, the, who are identified as those people 
we should go in and have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it, I mean, we're, we're on our journey. I can't say we've solved it all yet, but we've had some uh, success there. And even, even, you know, identifying the right customers. Um, so in the U.S., there's a lot of consolidation going on around healthcare instead of lots of small hospitals. Now you have these big integrated delivery networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them are kind of making, uh, taking this journey and making this leap of faith with us. But like I said earlier, some of them just aren't ready yet and they'll be ready on their own time. So mm-hmm. I think is really important as well. Yeah, I would imagine it forces a closer relationship between service and sales too, right? Absolutely. Because it's just kind of a continuous cycle of, you know, that, like you said, you don't want to get to a point where it's they're sold, they're serviced, and then they need to be right. sold again, right? Well, like and, you and want it to way, just be cohesive. Yeah, and that's um, the way it used to be. So my sales counterpart, hey, I sold the equipment and he gets all that order intake and all that mm-hmm. revenue and I get the service. And so in a way we kind of had our own P&Ls and we can manage yeah. them there's a dependency, of course. Now it's just one thing. The mm-hmm. solution is the equipment and service services integrated as one thing. So we can't split it up anymore. We have to be uh, side by side and it forces that. And that's actually a really good thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably a whole nother podcast on its yeah. own, right? Because I think, you know, the companies that are trying to do this with two PNLs or the companies that are trying to innovate this way without the top level commitment to taking the business in that direction. I mean, it just, it's, it's really tough to make this transition if everybody isn't working in the, in the same, you know, in the same vein, but we'll, we'll tackle that another time. I want to get into one more big thing um, before we finish for today, which is, you know, the, the thing we've alluded to, but haven't really discussed in detail yet is the fact that, you know, this requires a real significant shift in skill set, mindset of, of your technicians. And so you you touched on the fact that, you know, you you enabled that you gave them a choice, empowered them to decide, you know, do they want to kind of expand their skill set, you know, and, and all of that. But I know you've also um, increased your use of contingent workers mm-hmm. to be able to um, eliminate some of the, we'll say, you know, more traditional break fix, non-value add work so that your technicians, you can focus on upskilling them, reskilling them, expanding their skills to have those consultative relationships and to do these different things. So um, talk a little bit about that and and how, you know, what you've learned um, in, in making that work for Philips. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good topic. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you can only focus on so much. So you define what your core competencies are. And our core competencies have shifted from people who are really good mechanically and, and electrically to people more IT oriented, as I've said, or people more consultative, which I think is even more uh, kind of a unique skill. So what we've you know determined over time is that that's where we wanted to focus and develop folks. But guess what? At some point when we ship product, there's a loading dock where there's tons of boxes of our stuff. Um, And so, you know, we used to pay our staff, you know, whatever their hourly rates are to unbox things and to stage things and to prep them so that they can go into the hospital. Um, So, you know, that's a really easy example of where we've used third parties to kind of uh, supplement. It's not a skill that's highly specialized. It's not something that we want to develop a core competency in. And, you know, there's some variability around um, uh, demand. So, you know, if we have a really big fourth quarter, I don't want to hire 100 people and have them part of my fixed costs as we enter the next fiscal year. I want to be able to ramp them up and down mm-hmm. as needed. Uh, so it's really helped there. But even uh, if I if I say, okay, that's some basic stuff, I'll, I'll take one step further. You know, we do a lot of staging of like servers and equipment like that, um, and that's pretty standard and can even be done remotely. So there, even in the IT space, when it's something fairly basic, like loading an image onto a server or doing some configuration of a server, we start to work uh, with third parties as well. Um, if I have a third party that shows up on site, they're part of the Philips team. They get treated uh, as if they were a Philips employee. Um, they get the same training in many cases that our employees would get. You know, We really do a lot to ensure the quality is there. It's a little bit more difficult to control, if, if I'm honest with you. I mean... Probably the worst story I can tell you is, you know, uh, one of our third party guys like fell asleep on a patient bed or stole a dessert off the lunch tray. I mean, these things kind of happen from time to time. So you yeah. do need a process to ch- check in and make sure that the quality is there. Um, but, but you know, for us, I think the main benefit is being able to focus on what's core, 
And it offsets some costs, of course, that's part of the reason why we do it. And, and it allows for a lot more flexibility. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's a tricky road to go down, but I, I think it's important. Um, you know, like I said, the approach we've taken is we're, we're, we're um, allowing and promoting the development opportunities for our internal folks. So as we shift, we want them to come with us. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, where it doesn't make sense for us to unbox equipment and to configure, you know, do basic configurations, we're just going to use the contingent help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's happening everywhere. Um, and it's kind of interesting. People talk a lot about the gig economy. And I don't mm-hmm. know if, if um, you know, a guy who works for Philips can change his field service engineer jacket and go in and work for Siemens and on the next call go in and work for G. I don't know if we'll get there in healthcare because we're a little bit specialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but definitely I see it as an increasing trend that any activity that's not core, you know, you're working with a partner and they are, they are partners uh, and you're giving them the training and you're enabling them uh, to work on your behalf. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what you said at the beginning is, is spot on. You can't do everything, right? So if, if you're going to work toward this world of creating more value, then you need to focus on, you know, fueling the skills to do that, that value added stuff instead of, you know, unboxing things. Right. I mean, it's, you're not going to want to pay, um, you know, uh, you know, W2 employees, um, to do all of those, those things. And, and this gives you that opportunity to unburden them with, with some of the things that you can leverage these other resources for so that they have the time bandwidth energy, um, you know, to, to commit to where you're going and, and build their skills. Right. So, I think it's a really good point. I actually think that's another area we could do a podcast on, Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I agree it's a direction we're going in, but at least based on my conversations, I still have more people asking me, you know, so what do you hear around contingent workers and, and how, and, and how do you make sure they don't fall asleep on site and, and how do you train them and how do you control them? You know, all of those things. Um, so I think it's, it's an area that will grow, but there's a lot of people trying to sort out how to make it work. Um, and, and I think that's a whole nother conversation, but the premise of incorporating that into your labor mix to free up your resources, you know, to, to progress and, and build skills in the direction of those solutions, I think is, is very, very smart. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll have to hopefully have you back sometime. Um, okay. So last question, Chris, and, and you touched on this earlier, the future is data. Yeah. Right. That's where we're going. Right. So so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, my vision of the future starts with, you know, Philips being an indispensable partner helping hospitals achieve these outcomes that we've been talking about. So we'll be become trusted advisors and bringing to bear all the experience and all, all everything that we've learned by being a leader in healthcare and, you know, pretty much present in every hospital and every health system in the world, but especially in North America. Um, and so I think about it this way. In certain segments, we have like 50, 50 plus percent market share. Mm-hmm. And that means for patients being treated with those devices, one out of every two, we're collecting their, their data. And it's all being safe now, right? Everything's being saved. It all gets dumped into data warehouses and all of that. So I think, you know, like we were talking earlier, being able to harvest that data, I think it starts out with simple things like dashboards. Like I want to watch the patient flow through the hospital. Mm-hmm. I want to have a, a, a sort of command center where I can see everything happening. And we have that in some senses, like there, there are central organizations um, where they can monitor all the cardiac monitoring of the hospital, like in one place. And there are people behind all these LCD and it's kind of like a knock, but for healthcare. Mm-hmm. I think it starts with things simple like that. Uh, but then it gets into more advanced, like how can we really harvest this information um, and, and use it to, to drive a better outcome? Is it machine learning and AI? I'm actually not smart enough to uh, tell you whether that stuff works because there's a lot of hype about it, but there aren't really good examples. But I certainly think that you can say if a patient came in and he had these symptoms and he mm-hmm. was uh, a man and 50 years old and you know whatever else his demographic information was, if you've seen a thousand of those, right. cases, how were they treated and which one had the best outcome? Mm-hmm. You know, in my simple mind, those are ways that you can really provide a valuable service that not only helps our customers, but helps mankind, right? It helps us 
stay in the hospital less, get diagnosed mm-hmm. more precisely, get back to our healthy lives. Um, you know, Philips actually has a big play right now for monitoring people at home. Uh, so when you're chronically ill, you don't want to be in the hospital. Uh, doctors don't want you in the hospital. So let's figure out better ways to deliver telehealth. That's a big play for us. And I think data enables that um, and enables better outcomes there as well. So, you know, I, I, if I were uh, in school right now, I'd be becoming a data scientist because I think that's where it's at. Uh, and for, for companies like Philips, I think it's, it's yet another area where we can develop services and solutions um, and, and continue on this journey that we've started. Absolutely. Yeah, I um. My, uh, I have two sons and my five-year-old son has type one diabetes. So I've never cared so much about, you know, medical data, uh, as I do now, but I mean, he has a continuous glucose monitor and he has an insulin pump and, you know, those two things don't yet, at least the, the type he has work together. Right. But the advancements that you're seeing in, you know, being able to, to leverage that data to, um, you know, if not find a cure, which hopefully is coming, you know, be able to, to have the, they call it the artificial pancreas. Right. So it's just, you know, um, it's, it's really cool. And COVID, I think, you know, last year forced a lot of that. There's a a healthcare provider out in the um, Midwest somewhere, huge, huge system. And I think they were doing like 4,000 telehealth visits a month before COVID. Mm -hmm. So like 80,000 telehealth visits a month. And, you know, it's something that nobody wanted before the pandemic. Now, docs like it better, mm-hmm. patients like it better. I mean, they don't have to leave their house and travel. And, you know, if it's not that serious of an issue, I mean, I, I myself, um, I think it's I think it's great. You know, I'd rather call my doctor on the phone and say, I think I have a rash and answer a couple of questions and get a prescription than right. you know, interrupt my day and go into the hospital where other sick people or the doctor's office where there are other sick people. So I, I think it's inevitable. And, you know, it, technology will certainly enable it. Uh, and it's just now even a bigger pool of data uh, to pull from. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's definitely a, a big part of what we'll see in the next five to 10 years. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming and sharing. I love the vision. Um, what you what Philips has accomplished is is fantastic. And I appreciate you sharing um, sharing that with us. I think it'll be really helpful for our audience. And I'd love to have you back sometime. Sarah, thanks so much. It was really fun to talk about all this stuff with you. And uh, yeah, I'd love to come back anytime. Awesome. You can check out more of our content by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter at the Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.